Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Alex. And I'm Anthony. And our first story is a new one Art News. <laughs> and uh, this one is from Gizmodo. Museum visitor falls into giant hole that looks like a cartoonish <laughs> painting on the floor. <laughs> I saw this. <laughs> it's so. Uh, oh, this, this, I saw that. This, yeah, this that made was me amazing. so happy. It was amazing. Tell Uh, us about it. So, so (laughs) a visitor to a Portuguese museum was injured last week when he stepped into an art installation resembling a cartoon-like black hole in the ground. (laughs) Currently on exhibit at the Saralves Museum in Porto, Descent into Limbo by Anish Kapoor includes an actual eight-foot hole that's painted black, so it appears to have no depth at all. (laughs) (laughs) According to Britain's Times, attendees of previous showings of the work have questioned, quote, whether there really was a hole in the floor or whether it was simply a circle painted with an extremely dark black paint. So, so even though the installation was reportedly surrounded by warning signs and staffers warning visitors not to get too close, there was no actual actual barrier around the hole. So how (laughs) how this this person who is reported to be an Italian man in his 60s was able to fall into the hole (laughs) Is not known, but he was briefly hospitalized. He's fine, though. Um, well, that's good. <laughs> so Kapoor is actually known for all of it, for his oversized intel- installations. You might recognize his name because he's responsible for Cloudgate, which is the bean in Chicago. Oh. Uh, that everyone takes a picture in. Yeah. Um, he made headlines in 2016 when he secured the exclusive artistic rights to a physics-defying material called Vanta Black which you've probably heard of before. Yes. Um, it was, it's a material that was developed by a British company called Surrey Nanosystems, which is able to uh, trap photons in between lab-grown carbon nanotubes, which bounce around until they're eventually absorbed, which means that only 0.035% of visible light is actually reflected by an object covered in Vanta Black. So cool. It's it's awesome. It is so cool. <laughs> but that makes it impossible to see any curves or contours or to accurately gauge the depth of a hole. <laughs> right. <laughs> so this art installation wasn't actually painted with Vanta Black. It was painted but it was painted with a similarly dark oh. paint that produces the same kind of depthless black hole effect. Okay. I recommend looking at the picture, um, which we will link in the show notes. But it's exactly what you think it is. It's it's a black circle on the ground that just looks like a cartoon painting of a hole. Yeah. But is actually eight feet. A real hole. (laughs) So I have a feeling there's going to be a barrier around that before (laughs) too long. Probably. Um, that sixty-year-old man ruined it for everyone. I know. It's going to be a barrier. Yeah. He just had to. He had. (laughs) Like. I. I personally would have like gotten on my knees and like reached a hand just to make sure. Like I wouldn't yeah, know. My first thought would have been, whoop! <laughs> I'm not going to take well, a step and see. I mean, did he, it's, it's y- pretty big. So it's not like it was an accident. Yeah, like, Oh, okay. I, I was going to say maybe he just thought it's painted on the ground and he didn't know. I guess he was just that what, confident. What the point of the installation was that it was <laughs> a hole that looks like it's not a hole. Maybe yeah. he just knew, thought it looked like... Yeah, maybe it just looked like the floor. The floor. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> he was wrong. This remi- <laughs> Oops. This reminds me of... Um, 
a story I heard a couple years back about someone who had a modern art exhibit piece that was just some garbage <laughs> on the ground and the cleaning staff at the museum accidentally <laughs> threw it away. <laughs> it was like this story of like uh-huh. modern art piece worth $10,000 accidentally thrown away by cleaning staff because it was just Why like is a pile of garbage $10,000 worth of art? I don't though. know. That's, I don't remember if it was ten thousand dollars either. Like I said, still, it was, it was I have years I have ago, strong opinions. I on was what laughing is art. so hard at that because, like, it just looked like trash on the ground, and they just <laughs> threw it out. You can't blame them, right? I mean, like, at the very least, if trash. you're going to have something that looks like trash, put it on a pedestal or something, yeah, or it label it even, like this isn't trash, right? Like they showed how it was displayed, and it was just like on the ground. Like I don't yeah. know That's, why it's not art. I don't think it's art either. I'm just putting bold that. statement. So, sorry. Yeah, no, don't but, ruffle any feathers. But so, that's, that's not, no, art. I have a justification for this. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think I personally will consider something art. If it's something that took some type of skill or ability to do like mm. something that not just anyone could do, like something that you had to have some type of, um, skill yeah. to do it. No, it took like some kind of you technique. Know? Whereas a yeah. pile of garbage, I could make a pile of garbage. Right. I don't know if I could. I mean, I guess I could technically dig an eight foot hole and paint it black. Well, that's but I, okay. This, that's this one's borderline. borderline for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's borderline because the the fact that paint like that exists is very cool. Yeah. And someone had to like design that and right. So that's I, I would consider that art. I think it's borderline. It's but. closer to art than the trash pile. <laughs> yes. If you threw the trash pile to, in the in the hole, would it be art then? On a scale of trash to art, <laughs> the trash pile is trash. How about that? And the, and the black hole is like halfway between trash and art. Yes. Or, or, or it, it, I don't know. It's cruising around on that spectrum. It's it's, it's somewhere on the spectrum. It's not it's not all the way to the either trash direction. art spectrum. <laughs> From here on out, that's how I'm that's how I'm judging all art on yeah, a scale of trash to art. <laughs> I think I'm going to do that too. It just, it makes sense. You yeah. Know? No, we've, we've gone too far down this rabbit hole. Too far. Ha. Huh. See, tied it back to oh, the story. Oh yeah. Yeah. You can <laughs> full, <laughs> you brought it around full circle, Anthony. That was another pun. <laughs> ah, painted black. <laughs> Woot. Okay. Uh, my first, uh, news story is food news. And this is a story about Corn. so for thousands of years people from sierra mix a mountainous region in southern mexico have been cultivating an unusual variety of giant corn they grow the crop on soils that are poor in nitrogen an essential nutrient for plants and they barely use any additional fertilizer yet their corn towers over conventional varieties reaching heights of more than 16 feet oh wow So a team of researchers led by Alan Bennett from UC Davis has shown that the secret of the corn's success lies in its aerial roots, um, which have necklaces of finger-sized rhubarb red tubes that encircle the stem. These roots drip with a thick, clear, glistening mucus. That's how it's described. Ew. That's loaded with bacteria. (laughs) But wait, this has a purpose. Okay. Thanks to the microbes, the corn can fertilize itself. What? It pulls nitrogen directly from the air and fertilizes itself. What? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Um, 
So the Sierra Mix corn takes about eight months to mature, which is too long to make it commercially useful. But this ability could be bred into conventional corn, which matures in just three months um, and is, you know, used to, like, produce agricultural products. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So all plants depend on nitrogen to grow. And while there's plenty of the element in the air around us, it's too inert to be of use. But certain bacteria can convert the atmospheric nitrogen into more usable forms, such as ammonia, which is a process known as fixation. Um, And legumes... I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, I think you got it. <laughs> like beans and peas naturally house these nitrogen-fixing bacteria in their roots, but other um, plants like cereals, like corn and rice, usually don't have that. Huh. So today, American farmers need to apply more than 6.6 million tons of nitrogen to their corn crops every year um, in the form of chemical sprays and manure to fertilize them. Um And all this fertilizer takes a lot of energy to produce, and the excess can cause environmental problems like algae blooms and dead zones and waterways, like things that you've probably heard about happens because of all the runoff, like fertilizer from all the crops. Um, So anyway, to find out what was happening with the corn, the research team used modern DNA sequencing techniques to show that the mucus contained the microbes that belong to nitrogen-fixing families, and they carry nitrogen-fixing genes. Um, and then they also used five different tests to confirm that the microbes really are fixing nitrogen, that the nitrogen moves into the corn, and that the corn gets a lot of its nitrogen, anywhere from 30 to 80% of it, from this. Wow. Um, so they did a, t- a bunch of tests to like really, really make sure that this was true, because yeah. apparently they've been looking at it for a while, and they're like, okay, we're not going to publish this until we know for a fact that this is what it's doing. Right, you don't want to say a um, magic corn before you know yeah, for sure. Yeah, because this is a really big deal. So apparently scientists have spent years trying to create nitrogen-fixing cereal crops through genetic engineering with little process or with little progress, sorry. But since we now know that at least one type of corn can do this naturally, the ability could potentially be moved into conventional varieties through classical crossbreeding and mucus transplants or both, and these methods might make the final produce more publicly acceptable than a genetically edited crop. So they don't even have to use any genetic engineering to do this. They can just breed corn that has this ability. That's in theory. That's wild. Um, so yeah, super cool. Yeah. Um, and this could potentially, if they were able to do that, like crossbreed it into like the normal corn crops, they would dramatically reduce the amount of fertilizer that they need to use, which is also for farming corn. really cool. Yeah. Which is awesome. So <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> so, so, it was a lot of information. But. I'm not going to lie. I was, when you said giant corn, I was thinking that the ears were also giant and like had giant kernels. And I wanted to see what that looked like. <laughs> but it sounds like it's just Maybe the stalks are really big. Probably just the stalks, right? I think the stalks are really yeah. big. Okay. But now that you said that, I'm imagining cool. it the other way, and I like that better. But I want like I want a corn kernel that I can hold like an apple. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so fun. Like just a and giant I make corn. Giant popcorn. Wow. That would be awesome. Imagine you're like at the movie theater and you just have like a just like one a, piece one, of popcorn. A kernel of popcorn. It's like the size of your face. You're just like eating off of just it. Just nibbling on that. That'd be cool. I would like that. All right. My next story is random local news. Yes. This is from the Huffington Post. Uh, hungry thief wanted after nearly $100,000 worth of ramen noodles stolen. <laughs> That's a lot of Wait, ramen. Wait, how do... How does that much ramen even exist in one place? Ah, 
You're about to find out. All right. So police in, in Fayette County, Georgia, are looking for a thief after it was discovered that someone had stolen nearly $100,000 worth of ramen noodles. A 53-foot trailer containing the noodles was parked at a Chevron store on Georgia Interstate Highway 85 North. That's a lot of detail you probably didn't need. They, this this <laughs> confused me. They said the theft occurred sometime between July 25th and August 1st. What? They don't so know. The, so the trailer was just sitting there with all this ramen in it? <laughs> For that long? It's just a trailer with ramen. They go to check. Hey, let's go check on the trailer with the ramen. (laughs) Hey. Hey. (laughs) Wait, wait. Hey. (laughs) The local local sheriff said that the trailer had been secured at the time, and the owner of the trailer estimated that $98,000 worth of ramen was on board. We don't know what the brand of ramen was, uh, uh, but if we go off of uh, Marichan, which is one of the more common ones, it's only 29 cents a package on Target.com. And the article says you can just imagine what the sheer volume of noodles that they had to steal for it to be equivalent to $98,000. But we don't have to imagine because I did the math. Yes. <laughs> so $98,000 worth of ramen noodles at 29 cents a package is about th- is just under 338,000 packages. <laughs> Which is what? so much ramen. So much. <laughs> And I went a little further. If each package is three ounces, which is what the website says it is, that's 63,375 pounds or 31.69 tons of ramen. Oh, my gosh. I'm just... How does one do this? So someone has to come with their truck. Right. Multiple times a day for several days. No one notices they're doing this. They're just <laughs> gradually loading up this ramen into their truck. Yeah, because I guess they didn't They didn't say the trailer was stolen. I guess the... Um... Oh, yeah. I assumed that the trailer was still there. Yeah, they didn't say. But it's possible the trailer was also stolen because they don't explicitly say it was. Oh, wasn't. well, okay. That makes more... Like if someone just if came someone up and came, like and hitched it, it and then... to their car yeah. and then drove off. Okay, yeah, right. So <laughs> that's a little bit easier to do that versus. But I like huge... your idea a lot more where somebody just comes with like a pickup truck and yes. fills it with as much ramen as they can over the course of six days. And no one notices that they're doing this. <laughs> and uh, the last the last oh. tidbit from this story was that in addition to the ramen, police are also investigating the theft of uh, five or five car break ins which have included stealing things and oh. a stolen motorcycle in the same area. Oh. So I don't know if it's the same person, hmm. but uh, at least one person has a whole lot of ramen. And, and, and a motorcycle. And, and a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> and or a motorcycle. So we don't know if it's, <laughs> it's, just the sa- it's just the same person coming back with the stolen motorcycle, getting like three packages <laughs> at a time. Just as many as they can fit in their arms and then writing off. How long would that take? We could probably do the math. We're not going to do that right now. Uh, Hold on. Uh, Uh, If you take like 20 packages at a time. How many trips on a motorcycle would you need to steal all of the ramen? This is a weird math story problem. You would need 16,900 Joe wants to (laughs) steal... Joe wants to steal <laughs> thousands of pounds of ramen from a trailer truck. If he only has a motorcycle and seven days, <laughs> how many, how many t- packages? No, I, I, no I'm, I'm totally failing this. I'm trying to come up with a word problem. If Joe leaves his house at 60 miles per hour, 
and drives his motorcycle to a ramen truck. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, my next story is health news. So this is from BBC. Researchers from the University of British Columbia believe they have found a reliable way to transform donor blood into the universal type, type O. What? Yes. Wow. Except, I guess right now it only works for type A to turn a type oh. O. But <laughs> well, still. 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 A is the most common type. Mm-hmm. So type O blood is special because it can be donated to anyone without the risk of a bad mismatch reaction. Um, and the discovery is that certain enzymes from gut bacteria can turn type A human blood into type O. The enzyme removes markers from the surface of the donor red blood cells present in type A, but not type O blood. So it just removes them off. So if you know about the biology of how like the blood cells look, it's like type A and type B have certain enzymes, like they have certain um, enzymes on like the surface of the cells Mm -hmm. and type O just doesn't have anything. Right. So what this does is just like strips it basically. That's how I'm imagining it in my head at least. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um. So stripping them away means the recipient's immune system will think the donor type A blood is actually type O and will not attack it for being a foreign type. Um, So the idea of changing blood type with enzymes is not new. Other scientists, as well as this team, have been exploring it for some time. But researcher Stephen Withers, who is presenting his findings at the American Chemical Society's national meeting in Boston, said these gut enzymes represented the most promising treatment so far. He said, I am optimistic that we have a very interesting candidate to adjust donated blood to a common type. Of course, it will have to go through lots of clinical trials to make sure it doesn't have any adverse consequences, but it's looking very promising, he said. Um, And also, it works in whole blood, so he said you could see this being put into the bag at the time of collection and just sitting there doing its job while the blood is being stored. So they could just, like, add it in, and then it just, like, is converting it while it's in storage. That's really cool. Yeah. Um... So in their laboratory tests so far, the enzymes were able to completely convert blood type A to O blood type, like in a container. Um, and so, yeah, so the next step is they're going to do uh, clinical trials and make sure that it's safe and there's no adverse reactions or anything like that. But it's pretty cool. Because, that's really yeah, cool. That's, that's, that's <laughs> can, awesome. Uh, just convert a bunch of different donations just to type O and make them universally applicable. Yeah, this is like this is a story for my mom because she like used to work at a blood bank. Oh yeah. So I mean, she's she's in a different lab part of the lab now, but um, so she knows she knows all about. She this. knows all about. And I'm sure she's listening, and <laughs> <laughs> and I hope I was right Hi. about A being the most common type. Because <laughs> um, I'm sure I'll hear about it if I. If I think I was I've wrong. heard that before. Yeah. I think I think I have type A blood. Yeah, I don't know what type I have. I always like I found out a long time ago and then I didn't like write it down somewhere where I could reference. Yeah. So I, I always have to remember, but I think I have a negative, but I'm not sure. Yeah. My dad has O negative. So okay. the Red Cross is always coming after him. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, I bet. Anyone can use this blood. Right. Right. But yeah, I thought that was super cool. And yeah, that's that would be very promising. Technology. Yeah, that would be game changing for, oh, yeah. for blood donations mm-hmm. because that's the like one of the bigger restrictions is that right. you have to match it to the person. Right. And now you just have all of it yep. for everyone. Yeah, yeah. Like, that would just make it so much easier <laughs> Yeah, on the whole um, uh, effort of, you know, blood collection and storage and yeah. giving it to people. So, very cool. So, I hope the clinical trial trials work out well. Yeah, me too. That would be great. Yep. Uh, my next story is 
another food news. Yay. Uh, you might remember that previously we talked about the world's oldest bread. We did. We have now discovered the world's oldest cheese. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It was found in an ancient tomb, and it might have also been very dangerous. Oh. But more on that in a second. New research was published this week in the science journal Analytical Chemistry, which describes a recently discovered 3,200-year-old uh, cheese in an ancient <laughs> Egyptian tomb as the most ancient archaeological solid residue of cheese ever found to date. Wow. Um, dating back to the 13th century BC, the solidified whitish mass was discovered in a jar and even though it had been uh, exposed to harsh desert conditions for over 30 centuries, the compound retained enough of its original chemical content for the scientists to study its cheesy origins. Uh, <laughs> but in addition to determining the kind of animal milk that was used to make the cheese, the researcher, researchers also detected traces of a dangerous bacteria in it. Um, huh. A little history on the cheese. It was found in a tomb belonging to uh, Thomas. Thomas? That's interesting. It's spelled P-T-A-H-M-E-S, which I guess is the ancient uh, Egyptian Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with that. <laughs> uh, who was the mayor of Memphis, which was the capital of Lower Egypt at the time. It's one of the more major Egyptian huh. cities. Um so the, the desert environment altered the chemical nature of the sample, especially its fatty content, um, so much so that the, the team had to devise an entirely new way of analyzing proteins and identifying peptide markers, which are short chains of amino acids hmm. that signify the presence of a specific substance. So in order to tell that it was cheese, they had to figure out a whole new way to analyze this stuff. And there's yeah. details about it in the article, but I didn't really understand it, so I'm not going to repeat it. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> um, but despite the years of decay, they were able to identify the substance as a type of hard cheese. Um, and wow. that it was produced by mixing milk from goat, sheep, and African buffalo milk. Huh. Um, so that's kind of unusual. Hmm. But... Uh, but they also found peptide markers that matched uh, Brucella melitensis, which is a bacterium that causes a disease called uh, brucellosis. A lot of words in there. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what brucellosis is. Um, it's not, it, I, I'd never heard of it before. It's incredibly rare. I think I, I Googled it and there were like less than 120 cases in the U.S. last year. Oh, okay. Um, it's not usually fatal, but... Symptoms include fever, the night sweats, and muscle pain. And long-term mm. issues can include arthritis, chronic fatigue, and uh, and endocarditis or endocarditis, endocarditis, which is swelling mm. of the heart. Mm. Um, and the most common way to be infected with the bacteria is by eating or drinking unpasteurized dairy products, <laughs> which ah. this was because they did not have pasteurization. <laughs> hmm. Um, but uh, so it's it's possible that even though the cheese was really good, it would have made anyone who ate it sick. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Which isn't great. Um, and finally, as for how it actually tasted, it would have been similar in consistency to goat cheese, but with uh, a, quote, uh, really, really acidy bite, which doesn't sound doesn't terribly sound good. good. <laughs> I don't want something that tastes like it's melting my mouth. Yeah. Um, but it would have been uh, moist and spreadable, so... That's cool, I guess. So you could find that ancient bread and spread the ancient cheese yeah, on it. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> Make yourself a nice ancient this is sandwich. Ancient bread and cheese. Yeah, 
So I also have another question. Yeah. How do they know that it was, which I think you kind of mentioned this for a second, but how do they know it wasn't just a jar of milk that was buried there? <laughs> That's a good question. I guess like that these markers must be able to distinguish between like when something is milk and when something has like curdled. Okay. Right? I, I don't know. Yeah, because like... I assume they wouldn't m- say if they didn't know, right? Probably. Because mm. like, I'm just thinking like there's no way that they could have buried a milk jar and then it just turned into cheese. Ew. <laughs> I'm just thinking right now if that's possible or not. Like, yeah, I don't know if that's how that process works or not. I. You put like... um like a coagulating em- enzyme into the milk and then like boil it. Like that's how you make cheese. Anyway. Okay. I'm just saying, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just like, hmm, I've never I put much thought into it. it. I just like, I just like eating. This I stuff. wonder if they just buried a jar of milk and then it turned into- <laughs> I have no idea, but that's pretty cool. Like they like mixed milk from different sources. And yeah. Like especially an African Buffalo. I wonder how you yeah. m- managed to milk one of those. I guess they probably had some domesticated. I don't know. Did they? Or there's like, mm. there's like milk hunters. They're like, go milk. <laughs> sneak up behind a, <laughs> sneak up behind a buffalo and like squeeze, 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 squeeze. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My third story is a random local news story. From Florida. Oh. So a little over a week ago, Key Largo resident Victor Perez was looking out towards the Bayside Canal behind his house when he spotted a crocodile lounging on a pool noodle. (laughs) 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 Um, It was just, he says, it was just cruising along and I was like, okay, where's the swimmer? What happened to the guy with the noodle? (laughs) (laughs) The Miami native who owns Reef Tropical Cleaning, a company, is used to seeing crocs around the Keys, but never one that looked as if it was just hanging out in the water (laughs) and enjoying itself. Perez says, I don't know how he got that thing, but he looked just like any typical Florida tourist. (laughs) (laughs) That was the whole story, short and sweet. But here's a photo. Oh, I I definitely (laughs) want to see a photo. It's a crocodile on a yellow pool noodle. Yeah, it's exactly in uh, the river. I wouldn't have expected anything else. I was not disappointed. (laughs) That's amazing. So that was short and sweet. Yeah. Yeah. But random and local, and that's what counts. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But how did it get the pool noodle? I hope there wasn't a person on that pool noodle. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) I hope it just happened to be floating, and then the crocodile was like, what's this? And then... Realize that it could float on top of it. I hope that's what happened. I can only, I, I don't, I hopefully it, it didn't hurt anyone, but, uh, yeah, I guess we'll find out one way or another. <laughs> <laughs> we might hear about a missing person last seen with a yellow with pool a yellow noodle. noodle. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think it's time for breaking news. It's time for breaking news. Woo. It's time for breaking news. The part of the show where Anthony and I go online and look up random news stories that were just posted today. And we read them to you on the fly. Ready, set, go! Let's go! (laughs) The story that I found is uh, 
three-year-old girl fires 1,111 arrows in a row to set a Guinness World Record. <laughs> wow. So this is uh, this three-year-old girl. She fired um, 1,111 arrows in three and a half hours um, oh. in a bid to make it to the Guinness Book of World Records. Um, she's identified as P. Sanjana. Um, I assume they didn't give her full name yeah. to protect the identity of a toddler. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but she fired these arrows at a target that was about 26 feet away from her and hit the target with most of her shots during the, the three and a half hour period. Um, to quote her, I am happy. I have no pain and I'm not tired. My dream is to win a gold in the Olympics. Wait, how old is she? Three. Oh my goodness. <laughs> So that's crazy. Her coach said that she took a break, um, uh, took a five minute break every hour. So she wasn't just doing this for three and a half hours straight, but pretty much. Um, but yeah, she's, she's, her coach thinks she's on track to become an Olympian. And I think I would probably agree as well. Yeah. Um, her parents say that she showed an early interest in archery and she's been practicing every day after preschool, (gasps) which is, (laughs) That's adorable. Wow. That is, uh, that's so cute. Oh, wow. Um, so the South Asia Archery Association observed her record attempt and is submitting documentation from the event to the Guinness World Records. And uh, that's, that's... That's amazing. That's the story of Peace and Jana. So we're going to have to keep an eye out for her in like 15 years and see yeah. if she's at the Olympics <laughs> well, for archery. Do they have um, just plain archery events I, at the Olympics? Have you seen that? Because I've seen the one where you like shoot a target and then run or something like that. Well, there's the one with the gun. Oh, that's the one with the gun. Yeah. Okay, I'm getting confused. There's got to be archery, right? Yeah, it's wow. a, it looks like it's a, a summer Olympic event. Mm, okay. Very cool. Well, the story I found is from Huffington Post, and the headline is, Watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians may make you a worse person, study finds. (laughs) I didn't need a study to tell me that. (laughs) According to a new study out of the London School of Economics and Political Science, watching shows like Keeping Up with the Kardashians can make you less sympathetic to the plight of the poor. The researchers found that even 60 seconds of exposure to materialistic media, which is defined as content content that glamorizes fame, luxury, and wealth was enough to significantly increase anti-welfare beliefs. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that, it's kind of hard to believe, but they yeah. did all these experiments that, and found a significant difference in, like, so I won't read all the details of it, but they did several experiments where they exposed different groups of people to different types of media, like print media with luxurious things and print media with, like, just whatever, control. Mm. And then, um, shows that are very like materialistic and stuff versus just like non-materialistic stuff. Right. And they found a significant difference in, and they gave them like quizzes after that of just asking them what they thought about different things. And they found a significant difference in the group that watched materialistic stuff. That's so (laughs) strange. Really? That that can, wow. That that can be such an influence too. Yeah. So did it, I think at the end they concluded that, um, like, it's okay to, like, watch these shows every once in a while, but you just need to be aware of how consuming media can affect your worldview. And how unrealistic their lives are. <laughs> and also are. how unrealistic their lives are, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, if you want to read all of the... 
details of all the experiments they did. It's in the article that we'll post it, but it's just like, what? <laughs> okay. It's both, it's both what and it's yeah. Both expe- it's both expected <laughs> and unexpected. It's this weird, yeah, I know what you're saying. Like, right. I like, would expect <laughs> it, but I wouldn't expect it to that degree. I yes. Guess. I feel that way too. <laughs> I was surprised, but then not surprised. But then not surprised. <laughs> But like a little surprise. I've never seen a single episode of that show. Yeah, neither way. have I. I think I've probably seen clips from it just by virtue just being of being on, on the, on internet, the internet. Yeah. But, but I've never watched an episode of it. Or had like, any interest in watching or an episode. Had any, yeah, I just, it's not for me, but. Hey, if I you mean, like I'm, it, tell us about it. Tell us why we should like it. Yeah. But. Okay. So yeah, if you, if you watch this show, I mean, let us know why you like it or why you don't like it. If you don't like it or <laughs> feel free to. And maybe Comment you, away. Maybe you hate watch it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay if you do. That's, that's fine. But be aware that it might be affecting your wor- worldview. Yep. Okay, that's our show. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday. And as always, the links to this week's stories will be posted in the episode description. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and all kinds of other services. And uh, if you really, really like it, you should leave us a review. Rate us five you stars. totally leave us a review. We would love for you to leave us a review. We'll you read can, it. We actually, promise. You can rate it however many stars you want. But it should be five. No. We want you to comment on what if you, you like. want. If you want to rate it less than five stars, then just don't rate it. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash knickknacknews and on Twitter at, at knickknacknews. Okay, we'll see you next week, everyone. Bye. Bye. If Joe has six hours <laughs> to steal as much ramen as he can possibly steal, and he can carry 10 packages at a time on his motorcycle, and it takes him 20 minutes to get back and forth from the truck to his house, how many packages can he steal? <laughs> oh, man, we could write an entire math textbook just about oh, this. Oh, yeah.